0: This weekend's conference is on the living of the one new man. We have seen in the uh, first two messages that uh, uh, God's purpose is to gain a man from the very beginning, right, in Genesis. Um, He needed a man for his expression and for his dominion. And... Unfortunately, that first man was defeated by Satan. He failed to accomplish God's purpose. But yet, God never uh, was deterred from his intention. So even 4,000 years later, God himself became a man. He came to be that second man. He lived God. He expressed God. He represented God, and he fulfilled all that God requires, all that God expects. Yet at the end of his life, while he was on the cross, he created one new man. That individual, second man, through his death, at his death, he created a corporate new man, who is just the enlargement of himself the extension, uh, the enlargement of himself. That new man is the church. That new man is the body of Christ that eventually consummate to be the new Jerusalem at the end of the Bible, who it, which is not just a city. That new Jerusalem is a person. It is the bride of Christ whom Christ will marry well, this is what the whole Bible reveals to us. God's intention is to gain man for his expression and for his dominion. This is very clear. Well, the, <clears throat> the new man, the one new man refers to the church. But the church is not just as a kind of a congregation, not just a kind of a religious organization, The church actually, as the new man, is a person. This should be a new light to many of us, that the church is not just a called-out congregation. The church is even not even just a house, a dwelling place of God. The church is a living person. It's a new man. And not only having the life of God within her, But actually, Christ is the person within her. As a man, he has life. He also has a person. So this morning, we come to another message, uh, which apparently is uh, not addressing this matter of the person directly, but actually is very much related to this matter. Uh, we need to see what it is to take Christ as our person, how to live by him, how to live him, which is crucial for the living out of the one new man. Christ created this new man on the cross already. 2,000 years ago, according to Ephesians 2.15, this is an accomplished fact. He created in himself of the two peoples one new man. Accomplishing peace, right? This is a fact. But yet, unfortunately, this new man, though created, is still in the babyish stage. This new man needs to grow up, needs to mature, to become full grown. That full grown man will be, the prepared bride who will marry the bridegroom for Christ to come back. So we are in this stage of time in God's economy that we want to allow the Lord as the person within us to grow and to mature so that the new man not only is created but it can be manifested in fullness. That will consummate this age. So, I consider these messages are very crucial in relation to the accomplishment of God's eternal purpose. God must gain this new man, this one new man. And the crucial point of this lies with the matter of us taking Christ as our person, to allow him, this person, to make the decision. He is the one who has the preeminence in our being. He makes decisions in in every aspect of our life. Now this morning we come to this matter of the two prayers of Paul in Ephesians. In order for us to experience and take Christ as our person, We need to enter into these two prayers. Without prayer, we will never be able to experience Christ as our person. We know in the New Testament, actually, there are recorded three prayers. One was offered by the Lord Jesus at the end of his life before he went to the cross. That was in John 17. That was a mis- most mysterious prayer, most profound prayer. The Lord Jesus offered that prayer <clears throat> before he went to the Father. He prayed for the oneness of his believers upon his departure that his believers would be one. He prayed for this, and that was a a mysterious a profound prayer but then also beside him his apostles his among his his uh, apostles one particularly the apostle paul he offered two great prayers both are recorded in the book of ephesians which is a book book touching this profound matter of the church, which is something deep in the heart of God. Dear saints, God's eternal purpose is altogether related to his gaining the church. His saving us, his redeeming us is for the church. He did not just merely redeem us that we will not go to hell we'll go go to heaven someday. No, God's purpose is much more than that. He wants to gain the church, his body, a new man for his expression and for his representation. The book of Ephesians revealed this to us, that the church is the center of God's plan. It's the center of God's eternal purpose. And In touching this great and profound matter, Paul offered two great prayers. We will see a lot. I believe we will see very, very much from these two prayers offered by Paul in the book of Ephesians related to the matter of the church life. The first prayer was recorded In chapter 1, we read, and that is a prayer related to our seeing, our receiving revelation. The first thing about the church is that we must see it, we must receive a vision of it, a revelation of the church. And then the second prayer is recorded in chapter 3, that is related to our experience. After we have seen the church and even entering into the church, we need to experience how to remain in the church, how to be built up in the church. These two prayers are are the two greatest prayers recorded in the New Testament. And as I said, if we are burdened by the Lord concerning the matter of the one new man, the living out of the new man, we must learn these two prayers. We must learn to pray this prayer every day. This will help us to experience Christ as our person for the bringing forth, for the living out of this one new man. Now let's take a look at this prayer, these two prayers in detail. The first first point, Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, 17 to 23. Point A says, The Father of glory may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the full knowledge of Him. In coming to this great matter of the church, Paul realized that the church is too deep, too profound. It cannot be Comprehended by our mentality, by our smart mind. He prayed to the Father that he would grant us a spirit of wisdom. A spirit of revelation. I think each one of us who who have come into the church life can testify. No one has coerced us. No one has uh, tried to convince us to be in the church. No, no one can do that. If you have been convinced by people to come into the church, someone else can convince you to come out, get out of the church. Our <laughs> uh, Being in the church life is not a matter of convincing, coercing, trying to, to, uh, to convince you. No, our uh, being in the church is all together because our spirit has been enlightened. We have been given a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Wisdom to understand, and revelation to see. We need the wisdom to have the ability to uh, understand, and the skill to understand, and also the revelation that we may be enlightened to see, to realize. But both wisdom and revelation are matters of the spirit. What spirit? Not the Holy Spirit, but our human spirit. This is a small, lowercase spirit referring to our human spirit. Of course, this is not just merely a God-created human spirit. He is, what Paul is talking about is a human spirit who has been, which has been regenerated by the Spirit of God and indwelt by the Spirit of God. It is a mingled spirit. In this spirit, there is wisdom. In this spirit, there is revelation. When we come to the matter of the church, we have to lay aside our mind, our smart mind. We have to come back to our spirit. In our spirit is the wisdom. In our spirit is the revelation. When we touch our spirit, even though my mind, my, your mind may tell you something different. You know, many saints had this testimony when they first touched the church, came into church life, you know, seeing this group of people Oh, singing, shouting, you know, and uh, making all the noise. And, you know, in this place, it's hardly a chapel, you know, such an ordinary, some, some you know, a common building. What is this? This is not a church. And what kind of a, there's no choir, no, uh, no pastor giving a sermon. This is just a kind of a motley crew gathering here. And what is this? And yet, you know, the mind was just questioning. The mind was just, uh, you know, trying to, all the, all the rejection going on in you, this is not it, this is not that. Yet, at the end of the meeting, something within, the, within his being, within your being, start registering, you, you, you found peace here, you found joy here. In spite of whatever your mind is trying to tell you different, that within your spirit, it tells you, yes, yes, yes. Amen. This is where I am, this is where I dwell. Your mind may tell you different, but you're something different, but, you're, but your spirit tells you something different. So our coming into the church life, our seeing in the church life, is not a matter of being, uh, our mind being convinced, uh, we analyze, get everything figured out. Even today, up to today, I still cannot get it figured out. What the church is, right? How the church is run, how the church operates. What, what makes this, this thing take, you know, they, have, they are, you know, they have only one church. They have churches all over the earth, thousands of saints, tens of thousands of saints. And we come together. We don't pass around the offering plate, you know, the uh, uh, gathering offering. We don't, we don't did all the, all the fundraising and all these things. Uh, uh, how does, how does, how do they survive? How do they go on? Hallelujah! <laughs> I can say it's Hallelujah. It's the church. It is the body of Christ. And here Christ is the head. He heads up. He is our leader. If there's a pastor, Christ is our pastor. If there's a leader, Christ is our leader. We all learn to function. We all learn to speak to one another. It's not what you commonly will see in the so-called you know, the denominations and the mainline churches. But here, this is something so uh, unfamiliar, so seems so, so foreign. But yet within you, some part of your being says, yes, this is where you find supply. This is where you actually meet Christ. Christ is here. Don't try to figure it out with your mind. When coming to the matter of the church, Paul realized it's not about your mind. It's about your spirit. The spirit is a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Little one says, The spirit here does not refer to the spirit of the Lord, but to our regenerated spirit indwelled by the spirit of God. Just as we need to use our eyes to see and our ears to hear, we need to use our spirit to touch and contact God. Amen. Dear saints, never forget that you have a human spirit. Amen. Oh, I think that was, uh, that was uh, uh, you know, uh, when we first came into church life, that was the first thing that we were just uh, electrified. We were just revived by the Lord. It's just a, We found our human spirit. We never knew that we had, we thought we have a, a body, of course we know, we have a mind, we have an intellect, we have an emotion, but we never knew that deeper than our mind, deeper than our feeling, there is a part called the human spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 tells us clearly that God sanctifies us wholly in our body and soul and spirit. Amen. Man has definitely Three parts, not two parts, not just an outward part, inner part, but man has three parts. God created man's body with the dust of the ground, right, in Genesis. Then with this man of dust, God breathed his breath of life into his nostril, and man became a living soul. And according to Proverbs chapter 20, we are shown that 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 very breath Jehovah breathed into the nostrils of this man of dust is actually his spirit. Became man's spirit. The very Neshma, the breath of Jehovah, became the spirit of man. So man has three parts. The body, on the outside, enabling him to contact the physical world. Then also, man has a soul. Man became a living soul, enabling him to contact the psychological world, to enjoy all the, the in your soul, your, your, for you to, to think, for you to love, uh, for you to make decisions, and so forth. But there is yet another part in our being Our human spirit enabling us to contact God, to receive God, and to contain God. The last verse of 2 Timothy chapter chapter 4 tells us the Lord Jesus Christ is with our spirit. The Lord is not in your mind. He is not in your body for sure. Neither is He in your mind. He is with your spirit. Oh, the day when I discovered my spirit, I just, I was just exultant. I was beside myself. I have a human spirit. I have an organ within me by which I can actually contact God. I can realize God. You know, it's just like a radio, right? There are radio waves all over the, the air. You can't see it. You can't hear it until you get a radio, get a receiver and then you tune into the right frequency, and suddenly music comes in. Music comes on, right? How did the, music is everywhere, but you cannot hear it, just by, you know, with your physical ear. You need to have the proper receiver. Our spirit is that receiver. Amen. To receive the spiritual wave. God is spirit. John 4, 24 tells us. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit. There's no other way to apprehend the spiritual things. And God himself, who is spirit, without our spirit. Never try to come to the spiritual things with our smart mind. I don't care how many PhDs you have, how many DDs you have. That does not qualify you one bit to apprehend the spiritual things. It's only when we learn to exercise our spirit that suddenly God becomes real to you. Not only God, but also His plan, His purpose, His church now become real to you. So we treasure our spirit. We have to learn to exercise our spirit. This spirit at the time of creation, is an organ within man. Man became a living soul. Every human being is a soul, right? We live and walk as a soul with our mind to think, emotion to love, and will to decide. Then, deep inside, our spirit is an organ that we can exercise, that we can use, to apprehend the things of God. So here Paul says <clears throat> that we need to exercise this spirit that God may give us this spirit of wisdom and revelation in order to know the church thoroughly and to see the church clearly. Then he continued to say, to pray, the eyes that the eyes of your heart being enlightened that we may know. He prayed that the eyes of our heart, not our physical eyes, but the eyes of our heart. There are eyes in our heart. <laughs> Isn't it strange? We know there are eyes on our face, on our, in our, uh, you know, on our head here. We have eyes enabling us to see things But those eyes, these eyes, cannot see the spiritual things. I can see the people, the chair, all the furnishing and so forth, but I cannot see the spiritual things. Paul prayed that as we exercise our spirit of wisdom and revelation, the eyes of our heart, these are the spiritual eyes. This is the spiritual heart. Our spiritual heart has eyes, a seeing with the seeing ability that they may know three things. Number one, that they may know the hope of God's calling. If we're going to see the church, we need to see, we need to be enlightened to see what is the hope of God's calling. We know God has called us. We are saved. Today we received his salvation. God has called us. But what did God call us for? To go to heaven? To many Christians, they felt they, their concept was, God called me to go to heaven. But if you read the Bible, the New Testament, carefully, That God's calling actually refers to all the things he mentioned. Paul reveals in chapter 1 of Ephesians from verse 4 on to verse 15. All these, the verses before up to that point. Talking about how God, the triune God in Christ, he had, the Father has chosen us, he has predestinated us, and the Son... He redeemed us, and the Spirit sealed us and pledged us. The the entire triune God operated on us. God in Christ has called us with a hope. That hope is not to get you to heaven. That hope is to work this Christ into you. The Father chose us to be holy. He predestinated us unto sonship. And the Son, He what? He redeemed us and made us a precious treasure that God may want to inherit us. And the Spirit sealed us by saturating and permeating His essence into us. This is God's calling. God's calling is not to just bring us to the heaven, Is the goodbye in the goodbye and bye someday. God's calling is for Him to work this Christ into our being. Amen. That we can be holy with His holy nature to become sons of God. That we can, be, can become the treasure that God would inherit and also with the very essence imparted by the spirit into our being, through his sealing and through his pledging. These are invisible things. These are not things in the physical realm. You can only see this by exercising the God-regenerated spirit to realize that God has this glorious, marvelous calling upon us to dispense, to impart himself in Christ into our very being. That's why in Colossians 127 Paul tells us Christ in us the hope of glory. Our real hope is not heaven. Our real hope is Christ in me. Christ in us is the real hope of glory. Our hope is not In the physical things, in the external physical world, our hope is the indwelling Christ, whom the triune God, through his process, through his dispensing, has worked into us. Now, this Christ is not outside of us. This Christ is within us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The eyes of our heart needs to be enlightened to see, firstly, this hope of God's calling, the hope of the Lord Jesus coming again. And number two, we also need to see the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Many of us are concerned about our inheritance. What about my inheritance? What am I going to get out of this? But Paul says, no, you need to be enlightened to see God's inheritance. What is God inheriting? And with this inheritance, there are riches. And there are glory. Right? Paul used these uh, really uh, extraordinary, uh, 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 wonderful words to describe God's inheritance. That we may see what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance glory is actually a word attributing to God himself. No human being is glorious. Only God is glorious. Because glory sim- means, simply means God expressed. Wherever God is expressed, that is glory. And here Paul wants us to see that in order to see the church we must realize that God has an in, in, and inheritance. And this inheritance is in the saints. It's in you and me. And with this inheritance, there is something called glory. Something of God, something divine, and also full of riches. Christ is the hope of glory, whom God has imparted into us. But this Christ is not someone just kind of uh, ecstatic, just uh, sitting there. Rather, this Christ now entering into us, he is growing and he is even operating day by day, moment by moment, transforming us, renewing us. We were natural, we were all Adamic by nature, fallen, corrupted. But yet now, through his salvation, through God's calling, we have received this wonderful Christ into us as our hope of glory. And this Christ is growing in us. He is operating in us. He is transforming us, little by little. Transforming us in, from dirt, from, from clay, from worthless material into something precious that God wants to inherit Carl, do you realize God wants to inherit you? Do you have anything good that God wants to inherit? Not you for sure, right? None of us would like to inherit trash, right? Garbage, of course not. We just, you know, this is, uh, we throw away garbage. We, in our human nature, we all are nothing but trash. Even as Jeremiah says, Even man's righteousness is filthy rags. We have nothing that is worthwhile, that is worthy to stand before God. But yet, here Paul tells us that God wants to inherit us, implying that there's something, we have become something very precious. We have become something, a treasure, that God wants to inherit, that God wants to possess And this treasure is nothing of us for sure, this actually is the Christ who has been wrought into us and this Christ is transforming us day by day, little by little, to make us exactly like him. You consider the life of Jacob in the Old Testament? Jacob was, in his natural life, he was a supplanter, he was a conniver, he was a cheater, he was just, uh, you know, to, to you, he was just a despicable man. But yet God chose him, and God, God's, God has predestinated this person, this person, and he began to transform him, to work on him. And after passing through many sufferings, many dealings, now Jacob became Israel, became the prince of God, became someone so precious, so high, such a treasure that he became even God's representation. He was able to bless Pharaoh. His hand used to supplant others, used to grab, take advantage of others, but now his hand has become a blessing hand. Something happened to this person. He became someone so glorious, so high, Dear saints, this is what God is working in each and every one of us. He is making you and I his treasure. We become his inheritance. This inheritance is glorious. This inheritance has many riches. We need to see this. Christ is not just our Savior 2,000 years ago, who died for us, shed the blood for us, as in His as a historical fact. Today, Christ, is, Christ has been imparted into us. He is in us, and He is growing in us. He is operating in us. He is transforming us, making us precious, and as a treasure to God. Then Paul still pray, we need to know one more thing. That is, the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. Everything, you know, on this earth requires power, right? You need power to have light. You need power to have cooling, heating. You need power to move about. Everything, if there's no power, no energy, everything shuts down. Paul realized in order for us to see the church, this is the very heart of God, we need to see these three things. Christ has been wrought into us, imparted into us, and this Christ is working, transforming us, day by day, making us His treasure, His inheritance. And not only that, there is a power connected to us, transmitted to us, day by day, even continuously. The power that once operated in Christ, in a fourfold way, the power That raised him from the dead, the power that seated him in the heavenlies, at the right hand of God, the power that subjected all things under his feet, and the power that made Christ head over all things. This power today is also operating to those who believe, it's to the church. Is to those who believe. Oh, our eyes need to be open. If we are going to see this matter of the church, number one, we need to exercise our spirit. Amen. This God-regenerated spirit. For put aside our mind, put aside our emotion, how you feel, how what you think. We have to exercise this deepest part of our being. And then to realize. Christ is in me, Christ is not someone outside of me as a historical figure, Christ is in us, and he is growing in me, he is transforming me, he is making me something precious for God to inherit, and also there is a power that is operating in us right now, continuously, help causing us, enabling us to overcome death, to overcome gravity. To overcome all the things that are trying to control us, to defeat us. All things must be put under our feet. And even this power enabling us to, be, to participate in Christ's heading up of all things. Oh, this is, this is, this is too great. When you come to the matter of the church, I tell you, all hell broke loose. You may say, Satan may allow you to believe in Jesus, to receive the gospel, to get saved, but Satan will not allow you to see the church, to see God's purpose. You may have received Christ through the gospel, to receive eternal life. But then now, we have to enter to see what the church is. To enter into the church, which is the center of God's heart. This, is God's, this touches the matter of God's eternal purpose. Amen. Satan would do, do whatever he can to frustrate you. He will use death. He will use all kinds of forces. Opposition, persecution, to stop you from seeing the church, from entering into the church. But Paul prayed that for us to see, don't worry, there is a power. Once operated in Christ, now is operating also in us. And this power is to the church. To, this little word implies a transmission. There is power from the power plant somewhere is to the building here in in the meeting hall. It's transmitting power continuously causing the light to shine causing the air to run. I think every one of us when we enter in eternity we all will have our stories to tell. All our testimonies. What God has brought us through to come into the church, to see the church. Everyone who has seen the church, who come into the church, we all passed through different sufferings, encountered opposition, encountered even persecution. But praise the Lord, there is a power transmitting to us, enabling us to overcome death. There is such a power called resurrection power. The power that death cannot hold. That raised Christ from the dead. A power that just shoots us into the heavens. Even when everything tries to put you down, depress you, suppress you. But when you say, Lord Jesus, when you exercise your spirit called Lord Jesus, something just soars into the heavens. You are seated together with Christ. The situation is still there. Opposition is still there. All the suppressing, depressing things are still there. But yet in your being, you are just energized. You got just soaring to the third heavens. And not only that, all the things are put under your feet. You are over them. They try to be over you. But now by this power, you are over them. All these negative things, all these evil things, worldly things, things, all the, all the, all the, uh, uh, the things sent from Satan to us, they are under our feet. Amen. And then, even as when you exercise your spirit to realize such a power, you realize, not only you are in the heavens, you become, you participate in Christ's heading up. He is the head over all things. But now, we can participate in his heading up power. We are, apparently, they are the world rulers, they are presidents, they are premiers, they are prime ministers who are overseeing, heading up all the countries, heading up all the affairs. But in the spiritual realm, dear brothers and sisters, when we exercise our spirit, when we touch this power that is transmitted to us, we are brought into, not only to heavens, we are brought into Christ's headship. Oh, when the church comes together to pray, we bind, we lose. We don't agree with all the turmoil, with all the the unrighteousnesses, all the evil things. We bind on earth what the heavens bound and we release on earth what the heavens released. Christ is the Lord of all the earth. He is the Lord of lords. He is the King of kings and we, the believers, we are his body. We are participating in that headship with him. Heading up his move on this earth Oh, dear saints, this prayer of Paul in Ephesians 1 is powerful. We need to have our inner eyes open to see this, right? If our eyes are not, do not realize Christ is in us, what Christ is doing in us, and there is such a power continuously transmitted to us, there's no way for us to see the church, no way for us to enter the church. I believe all of us who are in the church life today, we can all testify to different degrees, different extent. We have touched this. We have experienced this. Even in many little ways, that power has been transmitting to us, enabling us to overcome all the evil forces, all the opposition, and now, praise the Lord, We are in the church. So this is very much related to the exercise of our spirit. right? That is, our spirit as an organ that we need to exercise, we need to use. And in this spirit, we found wisdom, we found revelation, and we touch the very point where God's transmission takes place. So, this surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe, the power that operated in the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrection power, resurrecting power, the transcending power, the subjecting power, the heading up power. And then see the church as the body of Christ, the fullness of the one who fills all in all, is the issue of the fourfold power of Christ. It's when we begin to experience what Paul prayed for here the hope of our calling, and God's inheritance in us, and also this fourfold tra- power transmitted to us, then Paul says, what? This power is, is, to, is to the church, which is his body. Amen. It's that only at this point, the church as the body of Christ came into being. The church as the body of Christ is the issue of us experiencing all these three matters that Paul prayed about. Not at the beginning, but at the end of Ephesians 1. The church as the body is the issue, is the result of us exercising our spirit, seeing God's calling and his inheritance in us, and connected to this heavenly transmitting this power transmitting to us, and the result is the church as the body of Christ. This is for revelation, for revelation. This is for us to enter into the church life. Now, the second prayer of Paul in chapter three, in Ephesians 3:16 to21. We know chapter three comes after chapter two, and it comes before chapter four, right? Simple math, right? Three is after two and is before four. What do we see in chapter two? In chapter two, we saw Christ created the new man. The church, as the body of Christ, came into being at the end of chapter one as a result of us experiencing Christ, the hope of glory in us, and God's gaining the inheritance. And the operation of the fourfold full, full power in us. Then in chapter 2, Paul reveals that this church, is the, as the body of Christ, is the one new man. Christ created on the cross. Then, in chapter 4, what do we see? Paul, in chapter 4, talks about the renewing of this new man. We need to put on this new man to experience this new man, practically. Between chapters 2 and 4, there is an insertion of chapter 3, where he offered this tremendous prayer for us to enter into the experience of the church life, not only as the body of Christ, but even as the new man. How did he pray for us? He says, Paul's first prayer in chapter 1 is related to our knowing of the church, which enables us to enter into the church. His second prayer in chapter 3 is related to our living the church life, which results in the expression of God, the glorification of God. In this prayer... Now let me read on to to point B. It says, Our spirit is the organ for us to know and enter into the church. This was revealed in chapter 1, verse 17. The spirit of wisdom and revelation. This is an organ for us to know and enter into the church. However, In order to remain in the church and have the living of the church, our spirit needs to become our inner man, our person. In chapter 1, Paul prayed that our spirit will receive, we will receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And in chapter 3, he prayed that the Father would grant us to be strengthened with power into our inner man. We know that inner man is just our spirit. But he did not say be strengthened into our spirit. Here in chapter 3, Paul uses the word inner man, implying that now our spirit is indwelt by Christ, is now actually our person, is an inner man. In chapter 1, Our spirit is an organ that we use, we exercise with wisdom and revelation to see the church, to enter the church. But now after we have entered the church, how to remain in the church, how to live in the church, how to be built up in the church, we need to experience our spirit is our inner man. It's a person who has Christ indwelled making his home within us. Our spirit is our inner man. We need to be strengthened into this inner man. Our inner man, after this new man was created, in chapter 2, and before we can actually have this new man renewed, And be put on by us in chapter 4. In chapter 3, Paul uttered this prayer. That we need to have our inner man, that we need to be strengthened into our inner man. We have to realize that our spirit is no longer just an organ. Now the spirit, our spirit is now the person within us. When man was first created, his person was in his soul. Man became a living soul. Every human being, as a created one, has his soul as his person. But now after we are regenerated, Christ as our life, he has entered into us. He is now the person within our spirit, making our spirit the inner man. Now the spirit is our person. Our spirit is not just an organ now. Our spirit is a person within us. It's the inner man. And we need to be strengthened into this inner man. We need to be brought back to remain in our inner man all the time. To see the church, to enter the church, we only need to use our spirit as an organ But now for us to remain in the church, for us to be built up with all the saints in the church, we need to be strengthened into this inner man, which is our spirit with a person living inside. C says, our inner man needing to be strengthened with power through his spirit. We are strengthened into our inner man when we use and exercise our spirit to contact the Lord's spirit. The power here is the fourfold power which operated in Christ as referred to in one chapter 1, 19 to 22. Dear saints, if we want to take Christ as our person, I would encourage you to pray this prayer every day. Father, grant me to be strengthened with power through your spirit into my inner man, that Christ may make his home in my heart. For God to gain the one new man, Christ must be be our person. And to experience, to have Christ be our person, we need to have our inner man strengthened. The fact is, dear saints, we live in this complicated world with so many distractions in the morning though you get up you spend some wonderful time with the lord enjoying his word calling on his name but then soon soon after uh, a short moment later you get into your car and then you drive off to work oh all the all the distractions right the things you see you know open your open your your, your computer, your cell phone, all the things just start to, uh, calling your attention to. You're distracted, right? Before long, by the end of the day, you're just inundated with so many things, right? This, uh, this world is trying to, to, to call for your attention. By the end of the day, you are not in your inner man. You are, you are in your outer man. <laughs> You are in your mind, you are in your emotion, you're all just tangled, uh, just entangled with all these, uh, you're like it in a cobweb, you know, in, all stuck there, in the World Wide Web there, you know, all, all stuck there. Oh, dear saints, if what we want to take Christ as our person, we have to pray, Father, grant me to be strengthened. Many times, I, I tell you, I pray this prayer every day. I don't know, for the last maybe 20 years, every day. I mean every day. I ask the Father to strengthen me because I'm weak. I am prone to be distracted like everybody else. There are so many things in the world around us, right? So this prayer is so crucial. Pray that the Father would strengthen you. How? through his spirit and with power, the fourfold power that operated in Christ, mentioned in chapter one, overcoming death, overcoming gravity, subduing all things, and participating in his heading up. Every day, if we mean business with the Lord, to have God gaining this new man, We need to pray, Father, grant me to be strengthened. I am weak in myself. I'm prone to be distracted. But Father, strengthen me. Strengthen me into my inner man. I want my spirit to be the strongest part of my being. I want my spirit to be the person who makes the decision. Not my mind, not my emotion, not my soul but my spirit, which is indwelt by you, to be the person in me. The inner man needing to be strengthened is only when our inner man is strengthened, we will allow Christ to make his home in our hearts. We saw a little bit last night, what it means by Christ making home in us. He must be the one who makes the decision. He is the possessor of our heart in all the decision making throughout our life. Not not I, but Christ. No one is willing to do this naturally. It's only when we are strengthened into our inner man. We will allow Christ to make his home, to take ownership, possession of my heart. So it is crucial for us to, to see that our spirit must not be only an organ to us. Our spirit must be our person. He is the inner man. Then D says that Christ may make his home in your hearts through faith. The center of personality is the heart, which is comprised of our mind, emotion, will, and conscience. Christ must be the person indwelling our hearts in order for him to take possession of all our inward parts. The more Christ spreads within us, the more he settles down in us and makes his home in us, occupying every part of our inner being, possessing all these parts, and saturating them with himself. I have to tell you from my experience that these processes, is read them, to read them is easy and quick. But the process is very slow. <laughs> so, don't expect you pray this prayer and then there's an overnight, instant change. Oh, suddenly, Christ fills your being, your you know, take over your heart. No. Every prayer is just you add a little piece of sand on the scale. Right? It does not seem to, you know, make a difference instantly. But I can guarantee you it makes, it will make a difference. Every day, add a little piece of sand onto the scale. Every day you pray, grant me to be strengthened. Another day, Grant me to be strengthened. Let Christ make your home in my heart. Every one of your prayer, God will not forget. Don't think that, oh, I'm still the same. Nothing really happened. Don't say that. Every time we pray, it's recorded. Every Every time you pray, the Lord remembers. There will be a day is coming. Christ will fully take over our heart. It's not something instantaneous. It's not something as a, in, in, in a quick pace. But little by little, we are, as we all, who are parts of this one new man, we are doing this. We are practicing this. We are living this. A day is coming that, corporately, as a people of God, we will be brought into this reality. The one new man will emerge. The one new man will be brought forth, right? Because now Christ the person, he is settling down in us. He is taking possession of our heart, not all at once, but little by little. Christ indwelling us can be apprehended by the sense of faith, right? Paul says that Christ may make his home in our hearts through faith. Our Christian life is a life of faith. What is faith? Faith is not empty hope, hoping. Hoping that God will do something. No. Faith is the assurance. Faith is the substantiation of things hoped for. The realization of things not seen. We have When you have faith, through the word of God, has been infused into us. And within you, there is an assurance. There is a substantiation. Even though things are unseen, things are still yet to happen. But within you, there is something called faith that has been infused, imparted into into you through the Word of God. I hope even through this conference, through the speaking of the ministry, much faith is now imparted into you. you stand with that faith. Regardless of what your mind says, there is faith in you. That has been imparted into you through the word of God. And by faith, through faith, we allow Christ to make his home in us. By faith, this is done. By faith, this is finished. To God, there's no element of time. To him, it is finished. It is finished, right? Like in in Revelation, we see the Apostle John, he already saw the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is a done deal. It's finished. You know, to us, oh, will I ever get there? You know, is it going to be true? John said, I saw it. I already saw it. So on our part, we allow Christ to make his home in us through faith, We just say, Amen, Lord. You have spoken it, it is done. Don't try to figure it out, don't try to analyze it, just be simple. Remain in your inner man and let Christ make his home there by faith. Next point, being rooted and grounded in love. Not only it is a matter of faith, it is also a matter of love. I know for a long time I prayed the first part of chapter of verse 17 of chapter 3 that Christ would make his home in our hearts through faith but lately I've been also praying the second part being rooted and grounded in love. It's not only that we faith faith enables us to see to realize and love enables us to enjoy to participate. So On the faith enables us to see the unseen, to be substantiated, substantiating the the things we hope for. But yet, love enables me to enjoy. So every day, we have to not only tell the Lord, Lord, I believe, but also we have to tell the Lord, Lord, I love you. Shall we all say two times together, "Lord Lord Jesus, I love you. Lord Jesus, I love you. Lord Jesus, I love you. Love is the shortest path. Don't forget, we are not dealing with just some theories, just some doctrines, teachings. We are dealing with a person. A person longs to be loved. As the Lord checked with his disciple, Peter, do you love me? He didn't say, oh, are you going to Keep my teaching. Are you going to be a good follower? The Lord just asked him, do you love me? What kind of a, what kind of a re- leader is he? What kind of a master is he? He does not only just demand faithfulness, diligence, he wants us to love him. Love is the shortest path. Love enables us to do what man what we naturally cannot do. So we need to be rooted and grounded, rooted for growth, grounded for us to be built up with others, and it is altogether a matter in the realm of love. Faith and love are the two things we believers must possess as we go on to experience, take Christ as our person. It is not by demand. It is not as a kind of an order. It is altogether a matter of faith and love. In faith and with love. Faith enables us to apprehend Christ and love enables us to enjoy Him. That we are rooted indicates that we are plants and our being grounded means that we are building. When we are rooted and grounded in His love, we grow, and we are built up in in his life. Then point F, may be full of strength to apprehend with all the saints what the breadth and length and and height and depth are. You are, in the church life, you are not an individual believer living independently, individualistically, as as a drop of oil in the bucket of water In the church life, we are together with all the saints, and we need all the saints to apprehend. To apprehend what? The breadth, the length, the height, the depth. What are these? These are the dimensions of the universe. How long is the length? How broad is the breadth? How high is the height? How deep is the depth? These are units, right, of the dimensions. It has no measurement. It does not tell you two miles, two miles long, five miles high. It's just the length. It's just the breadth. Implying that our Christ, he is measureless. He is unlimited in his measurement. In yourself, as an individual believer, your experience, your possession of Christ is quite finite. It's quite limited. Even though you may be quite rich in your years of experience of Christ, but still, it's quite limited. It's only when we come together with all the saints, oh, I tell you, the dimensions just multiply. You cannot define how big it is, how long it is, how wide it is. Oh, I just, uh, you know, I'm referring to the, uh, the conference we had in February in Taipei, 30,000 saints sitting there together. It's just, uh, it just puts you in awe. I mean, it's not just the, the room, how big it is and how many people are there. It's just that all, these are not just a, a, a crowd of people, like in a stadium, in a ball game. These are a group of, God-men. All there together with one heart, with one soul, in one accord, sitting there, receiving, responding to the word of God. Totally different from what you see in the stadium. In the arena. We're not talking about just numbers. It's just that here with all these, all the saints, we can apprehend, there's the breadth there. There's the length there. There's the height there. There's the depth that you, that you cannot describe how rich this Christ is. Some were there just sitting there as we were breaking the bread. This bread is about that big, you know. This morning, I don't know how big a bread we broke. You see, in this, uh, we broke a bread about three feet diameter at least. And all this group of brothers up there and breaking the bread. Some saints sitting there, they were just, tears came down. I mean, without, just, just being there, you have, you just, you just sense the Lord's love, the Lord's grace, His mercy, that after, through all these, I'm still here, I'm participating, partaking of this one bread with all the saints from all over the earth. Christ is all-inclusive. Christ is all extensive. He is indescribably huge, rich. He is the breadth, length, and height and depth, and can only be apprehended when we are with all the saints. This is the wonderful, this is the wonder of the church life, just being here together with all the saints. The four dimensions are the dimensions of Christ which are unlimited. To apprehend the dimensions of Christ, we need all the saints, not individually, but corporately. When Christ is able to make his home in our hearts, occupying all the inward parts of our being, we will be able to be built up with all the saints. Amen. Praise the Lord for our strengthened inner man. Amen. And also with an indwelled heart. A heart that has been indwelled, made home by Christ. And in that heart, it's no longer just you, yourself, and you. Now in your heart are all the saints. All the saints are in your heart. You know, as one who, you know, travel a bit, you know, visiting the churches, I can't help all the churches, all the saints, I cannot say all, but many saints, many churches are now in my heart. They're just there. My heart is not used to be just myself, me and I, right? That's all I can contain in my heart. But now, being in the church life, in the body, in the new man, all the saints in my heart. Brother Lee was in my heart. Brother Need is in my heart. John Nelson Darby in my heart. All the saints, even throughout the centuries, all the saints in our hearts. Your little heart, Now, because it's indwelt by Christ, has been enlarged to receive all the saints there. Our spirit is no longer that small, just your spirit. Our spirit is the very place where God's dwelling place is built, right? According to Ephesians 2, God's dwelling place in spirit. In our spirit are all the saints, Brotherly uses expression is our spirit is universally spacious. Amen. This is not just your spirit or my spirit this is our spirit Amen. containing all the saints throughout the ages. We are built up with all of them to apprehend this universally great Christ so that we can be not only his body but this one corporate new man Amen. to express and represent him on this earth. I feel I, I am short of utterance to utter forth what was presented here in this prayer. You know, just to mention, after Paul finished chapter 2 and he was about to write chapter 3, in the next chapter, of course, in the original text, there's no, no chapter de- delineation. It just continues. Then in verse after he presented all that he, uh, uh, in chapter 2, in verse 1 of chapter 3, for this cause I Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you, the Gentiles. Then he was about to tell the saints how to live out this church life, which was mentioned in chapter 4 as a prisoner of the Lord. But suddenly, something welled up in his being that he began to write the rest from verse 2 to verse 21. As you see in the footnote, they are the, is a parenthetical word. They are in parentheses. If you read, Actually, uh, 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 3-1 continues with 4-1. And there is this insertion, which consists of this prayer that Paul was having. Now he revealed that Christ created this new man. He was about to, to admonish the saints how to conduct themselves, how to put on this new man. And suddenly something well up in his being and to be offered as this prayer it just, it blows me away. And this, it just, this prayer opens up, pours out what was the burden on Paul's heart. We need to pray that the Father would grant us to be strengthened with power through his spirit, and then Christ will make his home in our heart, Then we can be rooted and grounded in love, and then we apprehend with all the saints, all the un- unsearchable dimensions of Christ, and that we may be filled and to know the knowledge surpassing love of Christ, and be filled unto all the fullness of God. Amen. And unto him be glory in the church. Amen. Oh, I mean, if you touch the spirit of Paul, there in that prayer, he was just overwhelmed. Something was just welling up in his being. Well, I hope the spirit speaks much more than what I can utter. If we we mean business with the Lord, we saw the importance of the new man, what God is after in these end times. The new man must be brought forth. And to have the new man brought forth, Christ must be the person. And to have the Christ as our person, we need to daily pray this prayer. Right? Exercising faith and love. And with our spirit, not only as our organ but also as the inner man. Then in point G, to know the knowledge surpassing love of Christ, that you may be filled unto all the fullness of God. Just as Christ is immeasurable, so also is his love. Through his indwelling, Christ imparts the fullness of God into our being, that we may be filled even unto all the the fullness of God, to be the practical manifestation of the church in which God may be glorified In his expression. Let's read the last point together. Okay. To To him be the glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus. Unto all the generations. Forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Unto him be glory in the church. Amen. He has dispensed himself in Christ. God has dispensed himself in Christ. As glory. Into the church. And this now, the church can return this glory back to God. This glory is just the very Christ worked into us as this immeasurable love. And His making his home in all our hearts. Now, the church is ready to offer, to return this glory back to God. And this church is the fullness not only of Christ, but is of God. That we may be filled not only with, not with the fullness of God, but unto the fullness of God. That is the body of Christ. That is the full grown man, right? It's here that God receives the real glory. Okay, uh, I stop here. I think we, it's good that we have been practicing this the last couple of meetings. We will spend four or five minutes for you to speak with the ones near you, okay? Just to overflow whatever you enjoy, speak it. And then uh, after that, we'll have a corporate sharing time, okay? You can stand up, you can sit down wherever you are, just with the ones near you. Amen.